Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Matthew 9, 9-13, and Matthew 9, 35-38. Listen for what God is saying. As Jesus continued on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. As Jesus sat down to eat in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners joined Jesus and his disciples at the table. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Go and learn what this means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. Jesus traveled among all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, announcing the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were troubled and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the size of the harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. Therefore, Plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture. Good morning, Urban Village. My name is Emily McGinley, and I have the great joy of serving pastor as pastor here um, uh, and in ministry alongside many of the folks that you've seen up, up front. I actually just realized I've never heard you read scripture, Drew, because you're always singing. Um, yeah, and you, you read lovely, so um, thank you so much. Um, and I am grateful to be, I, just this morning I was, I was struck um, how grateful I was for this community as we were singing, and I was seeing, I was hearing grace notes, certainly in the music, but also as I saw people encouraging each other in, in their music making, uh, Rashada uh, giving um, Josiah cues and um, and Drew keeping time for Anne-Marie with those snaps and, and, and the congregation sort of applying themselves to songs that were new to them. And it just was a really wonderful reminder that church happens because we make it happen, right? It isn't because people are incredibly gifted and talented, even if they are. It's because we show up and we apply ourselves and we, we create spaces of grace for us to really connect with each other. And we try. Um, and that's really what it means to be um, a community that is bound by God's love. So I, I am grateful for that. Um, and I ask you to join me in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts and minds to um, maybe listen close to what God has to say to us today. God, I give you thanks um, for this community of grace. 
Um, I give you thanks that you uh, help us to be a generous people with one another as we struggle along in our journeys, um, whether it is in music making or life making. And so I pray that um, you would be present in this space at this moment as you already have been, that your spirit would clear away the clutter in our hearts and our minds to be ready to receive what it is that you have to say to us, to show to us, to challenge us with today so that as we leave this space, we might be both encouraged but also spurred toward greater purpose and greater possibility um, for your work in this world. We pray this with gratitude and in the name of your son, Jesus, who showed that it was possible. Amen. And when I first um, moved to Chicago, uh, before Waze or any kind of Google Maps that had uh, voice directions that went with it, uh, when I wanted to hear about what the roads might be like uh, getting from here to there, I would do what I did uh, like when I was back in Seattle. I would turn on NPR to listen for the traffic report, right? Uh, the problem was I couldn't understand what they were saying. It was like I understood the individual words, and I think some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> All, but all together, they had absolutely no meaning to me, right? I might hear something like, the Dan Ryan is getting backed up north due to construction in the loop stretching as far back as the Kennedy. <laughs> what? Right? There's the Edens, the Stevenson, the Eisenhower, or even more confusingly, the Ike. And I'd be driving, scratching my head like, but what about I-90-94, right? What's going on with 290? What are these names, right? It was like I was in some kind of bizarro world and would end up even more confused when, I, when the report was finished. And this, the traffic report, right, is just a small sign or indication of a much bigger phenomenon about Chicago. Even though it's a big city, it's a city that sort of understands itself in spoonfuls. A city of neighborhoods isn't just a catchy phrase, right, or a catchy tagline. Outside of the loop, just about every neighborhood is distinct. It has its own pride points, identity markers, insider sensibilities. You might have lived here for 10, 15 years, but that don't mean you're from Chicago, right? And in a way, this is what Christianity can feel like to folks who are on the outside, right? A crowd with its own language, habits, a peculiar worldview, operating by values and practices that at best are a little odd. Uh, there's a strong sense of belonging or not belonging. And the practice of evangelism often looks like this crowd extending an invitation to become an insider with them, right? Come be a chosen one with us. I once heard an evangelism joke, yes, there are such things, uh, among my Christian friends in college. You're sitting on a bus, and the, a person approaches and says, is this seat saved? And your response is, are you? <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny, right? <laughs> But it's also creepy, right? Even a little sinister. Because even, uh, even though folk might say, come join us in big letters, uh, there can be an awful lot of small print that comes along with it. Join us, but first, you must submit to the following pre-existing rules. You discover requirements that run anything from no drinking or no sex before marriage to no secular movies or no secular music. Or even worse, hide all the things that make you imperfect, your anxiety, your depression, your addictions. Hide them, otherwise it becomes evidence of your weak faith. Form, or rather deform yourself in order to fit the mold. And if you behave, if you believe, then maybe you can belong. And the tragic thing about all of this is, besides the obvious things like totally messing with someone's sense of self and inflicting a whole world of shame and sorrow, the tragic thing is that this is the exact opposite of what Jesus was doing when he reached out to people. 
Our passage for today is just one example of many encounters that Jesus had with folks who didn't quite fit the mold, who would never think to walk through the doors of a church or a synagogue. Uh, For these folks, Jesus knew that hanging out a welcome sign wasn't going to cut it, right? And so even as he taught in synagogues um, and temples among insiders, he also taught on mountaintops among outsiders. He healed sick people, mentally ill people, people caught up in spiritual chaos, which is to say that he healed both their bodies and minds and restored them to community. Because well before there were studies that proved it, Jesus knew that belonging to community is central to our wellness at every level. And so he did all that he could to identify those folks who had, been left, out, who had left out or been pushed out of community. If you're familiar with the stories about Jesus, you'll know that tax collectors figure in pretty regularly, and this is because tax collectors were universally loathed. And they went around and they did their jobs collecting taxes, but they also used their position to collect just a little more, right? After all, if if you rub a a tax collector the wrong way, they know exactly how to turn your life into a bureaucratic nightmare, right? (laughs) So people paid whatever extra on top of what they actually owed to just keep these guys off their backs. This meant that tax collectors had a fair amount of money, And it also meant they didn't really have any real friends. Well, here in the book of Matthew, Jesus sees this guy, confusingly also named Matthew. Uh, Now, Matthew is sitting uh, like those folks selling cell phones, cases in the middle of the mall, right? In the middle of everything where everyone can see. Jesus walks up to him, not after he finishes his shift, but rather while he's on the job. And he doesn't start shouting, you sinner, you repent of your sins, right? So that everyone can see what an upright dude Jesus is and what a bottom dweller this Matthew guy is. No, Jesus goes right up to him in front of God and everyone and is like, yo, follow me. And because it would be too easy to pass this by as one of the kind of gajillion times that Jesus does basically the same thing, I'm going to slow it down a minute here so you can see how slick Jesus is in this moment. Because there are two things happening here. And these two things get at the heart of what Jesus did throughout his ministry. The first thing is he engages Matthew in real relationship, on Matthew's turf and terms. Another way to say this is that Jesus goes beyond invitation, which is the name of our new sermon series. In fact, the next scene isn't Matthew hanging out with Jesus and the disciples, right? No, it's Jesus hanging out with Matthew and his boys. Jesus met people where they were at, not because he wanted them to be cookie-cutter versions of the disciples, but because he wanted Matthew and his friends to experience the goodness of God as they were, where they were. Jesus engaged people where they were. That's the first thing I want to point out. But then there's this other thing that's not as obvious when you read this, especially with the distance of 2,000 years outside of the Roman Empire. You see, there's a reason why the tax kiosk was in the middle of the mall and not tucked away in some, like, discreet office park, right? And it wasn't just that the tax collector took a cut for himself that people couldn't stand him. It was that the tax collector and his hard-to-miss kiosk was a constant reminder of the exploited and ratchet tax system that everyone labored under. I'll break it down a little further. Your average Joe Galilean worker was subject to a whole rainbow of financial debts. Head taxes, property taxes, sales taxes, shipping frees, transportation tolls, and other customs and duties. And on top of this, the taxes and tithes that kept the religious leader fat and happy added all up, and that's a lot of bread coming from what was a pretty small loaf to begin with. So the kiosk and the tax collector was a daily reminder of how much they owed, who they owed it to, and when it was due. 
In other words, it was a constant reminder that they lived under an economic and political system that was set up to squeeze them for all they were worth. When Jesus comes up to Matthew in the middle of his shift and says, follow me, it's not just a cheeky invitation to skip school, right? It's a low-key disruption of empire's business as usual. Jesus showed up, and a tax collector disappeared. And that's a tremor in the system. Jesus goes out and invites people, intentionally disrupting social structures and political hierarchies. Not just because he's about uh, saving the souls of individual people. He's doing it because he knows that when he starts removing folks uh, from the things that prop up, the folks that prop up this, our systems of oppression, whether you are the oppressor or the oppressed, like a Jenga tower, once you start removing blocks, right, the whole thing will eventually fall down. The racism, the classism, the economic conflict, all the things that pit people against each other. It stops working when the people who hold it up stop showing up. Bit by bit, Jesus was pulling out people, removing them from the equation. And that's why sharing the good news of the gospel, which is the what the word evangelism means, that's why evangelism is not an option in the life of a Christian. Evangelism, true, healthy, Christ-like evangelism, leads people to freedom and interrupts systems of oppression. It leads people, all people, towards spiritual freedom, economic freedom, to social equity and wholeness of life. This is why we do outreach and evangelism at Urban Village. Because there are far too many examples of toxic, perverted, and fake versions of Christianity getting peddled and passed around. You know what I'm talking about. You see it when our leaders start quoting scripture to uphold unjust and death-dealing legislation. When religious leadership wield it to control the bodies of women and poor people, who conveniently forget that the very savior they proclaim was a brown baby born into a migrant caravan, a felon who lived as a refugee for the first 12 years of his life. We, conjure up, we can conjure up more images of perverted Christianity and unhealthy evangelism than the opposite, right? It's too, it's, there's so many, so many examples of it. So then, what does healthy evangelism look like? Well, a starting place might be to ask if it shares these things in common with Jesus' ministry. Does it give people access to more self-determination or less? Does it give people more community or less? Do people feel healed or controlled by the evangelism and outreach that's directed at them? Jesus was about God's work, which means that he was about the work of bringing wholeness of life for all. And that means more self-determination, more community, more healing, and more freedom. So where do we begin? How do we start? Jesus gives us some good examples in Matthew. Jesus goes out into the world, and he doesn't wait for the world to come to him, right? He doesn't sit at home with a welcome sign, a, some, a pitcher of lemonade, right, and two glasses waiting for someone to come and knock on the door, right? He goes out to where Matthew is. He eats dinner with Matthew and the other tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners on their turf, not his. How can we do the same? 
He also prioritizes those most in need and those most marginalized, the sick, quote unquote, the sick. He doesn't center his own experience um, or the folks who are most influential or even the people who are already following him, right? He instead, he focuses on those who are outcasts or harmers or harmed in some way. What does that kind of evangelism look like for us? Jesus shows compassion. He sees people in their pain and their busyness. One translation um, uh, of our passage today, um, in it, he, he says, he sees that the people are harassed, which is a word that gets in their experience with them. Well, how are frameworks like compassion and empathy part of your expression of God's message when you share it, when you talk about it with people? This isn't about saving souls like winning prizes, right? This is about caring for people and their problems regardless of whether they join our thing. It's about expressing God's love to people because people need to know that they are wholly loved and completely worthy, end, stop, point, right? (laughs) Finally, Jesus proclaims good news. When Jesus started his ministry, he declared that he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And this means two things. First, this is about wholeness of life for all. You always hear me talk about this, and I'll never stop, right? And secondly, it is good news, especially for the folks who have been kicked to the curb. If it's not good news, it's not evangelism. Some of us have experienced or observed a kind of evangelism that seeks to control, that tries to minimize us or convince us of how bad we are so that we can know how much we need Jesus. It's one thing to call people to repentance, to treat themselves and others with greater love, respect, and grace, right? It's another thing to tear them down and tell them that they are worthless, right? Jesus isn't looking for people who hate themselves. So I'll say it again. If it's not good news, it's not evangelism. Jesus desires to see people fully alive and awakened to their role in helping this world come more alive. Misogyny is not good news. Homophobia is not good news. Shaming is not good news. Say it with me. If it's not good news, it's not evangelism. We don't need to be made to feel worthless in order to seek God's love. There's more than enough to keep folks down. This past week, an email written by the owner of Progress Bar, some of you heard about this, was leaked. This email outlined explicit instructions to DJs. We're changing up our format, the email began. We have implemented a no-wrap rule effective immediately. This is not a suggestion, two exclamation points. If you play rap, you will not be asked back. Anything vulgar, aggressive, or considered mumble rap, including certain Cardi B tracks and newer Nicki Minaj is off limits. The email promised security would be added, including a guard near the DJ booth. Well, it didn't take much for folks to read between the lines of just who this new music format was intended to keep out. Like so many other parts of Boys Town, the message was loud and clear about who the space was for and who it was not. Just before the beginning of Pride Month, black queer folks are reminded that even within the rainbow, there is a hierarchy of colors. Now this is a shame and a tragedy. It betrays both the legacy of Stonewall, the site of riots started by a black trans woman, inspired the pride movement, a pub that was committed to inclusion for queer and trans people who had no other place to call home or family. 
And as the, pastor, as the pastors um, at UVC discussed what was going on, an idea kind of bubbled up. As we think and talk and act on what it means to do evangelism like Jesus did, to go out and be a mouthpiece, an example of God's love where folks were at, what, what that might look like in that moment, we, we had a thought. And so I called up Jeffrey Pub and I said, hi, I'm the pastor of Urban Village Church. We are an LGBTQ inclusive church and we heard about what happened with Progress Bar. We want to support the only black-owned LGBTQ bar in Chicago. Would it be okay if we had a group come out on Sunday evening? The owner said, we welcome all here at Jeffrey Pub. He paused for a moment and he said, but Sunday night is ladies' night, so the ladies get to pick the music and the space is for them, but everyone can come. And I had to chuckle to myself, right? Because you see, even here at this little pub on the corner of 70th and Jeffrey was a little slice of love, right? Everyone is welcome, but we're holding space for the ladies tonight, right? Coincidentally, I also just learned that there is only one black-owned LGBTQ club in New York, too. In a city of 8.6 million people, there is one black-owned LGBTQ club. In our city of 2.7 million, there is only one. A place for those whose intersected identities place them at the margin of the margins. You tell me, what would Jesus do? Where would Jesus go? And so, I know it's a work night for many of you. But I want to invite you to come on out with me tonight at 7 p.m. I'll be there. We'll go, to, we'll go to ladies' night at Jeffrey Pub, right? And if you need a ride, let me know. We'll get things arranged, right? Together, we can support a business whose existence matters in more ways than we can count. We'll have a good time together because I know that you are all fun people, right? We'll show up. We'll hang out. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe Jesus will already be there. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that you invite us to be mouthpieces of your grace in a world that so just unfailingly seems to seek to do the opposite. We thank you that you go out, that you commit yourself to those places and those people that are too easily forgotten, too easily kept out, cut out, left out. And we thank you too, God, that you invite us into that work as well. So I pray that as we begin Pride Month, as we begin this summer of outreach and evangelism, that we would be, in fact, proclaimers of your good news. Your good news that invites all, not to be just like one version of what it means to be human, but to be their fullest selves, to affirm that, to love that, to encourage that, and to do that in our own lives as well. We pray especially for those folks who stand at the margins of the margins. And we ask, God, your covering, your healing, your love, your grace, your wholeness, your reconciliation, your life, to be alive in them. And that whatever ways that you invite us to participate in that, I ask, God, that you would move us, even if it takes us outside of our comfort zones, even if it decenters us, even if it feels odd or strange. Help us to have the courage to do that, at least. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.